If you have your Bibles today, be finding Ephesians chapter 5 as we return to the book of Ephesians. We're beginning a new series on the subject of marriage, and our text will be Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. I read this week that, and this was in a book by Tim Keller, that about 40% of Americans now believe that marriage is becoming obsolete. I'm going to put before you a view of marriage that I think is biblical today, and I believe it will be helpful to us as we consider our own marriages. Um, And when we look at this passage, this verse 22 to 33, it's divided into three sections, the wife section, that which is addressed to her, verses 22 through 24, and then the longest section, verses 25 to 30, is for the husband, and then the section to all of us, verse 31 to 33. Let me just say a word about this because what I want to do is just kind of take an overview of it today and then we'll return to it next Sunday. But in this uh, section on wives, verse 22 to 24, the main word here is submit. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so, Christ, so wives should submit in everything to their husbands. One lady said to the pastor, Pastor, what is the Greek word for submit? And he said, it means to submit. <laughs> I can't, ladies, I, I can't help you much on that. Let's just leave it alone for right now. We'll revisit it. I don't want to get in trouble, though, already, and I haven't just reading a couple of verses. But this is addressed to Christian wives and Christian husbands. Verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, what does God in Christ call us to do? Well, we would say certainly calls us to provide that's certainly part of, the, of our duties and calling, and to protect. Uh, but at the core of it, Paul says, as Christ gave himself up for the church, that's what we are called to do, to just give ourselves up to our wives. And that means that your life, as you knew it previously, is over when you become a husband. Now, that is a, 
the idea of a husband giving himself up, not giving something up, that's part of it, but giving himself. Now, what he says in, in verse uh, 25 and 26 is that if we will do this, this releases her to become sanctified, cleansed with the washing of the water of the word. As Jesus gave himself up for the church to present it to himself, verse, 30, uh, verse 27, he, pre- he presents that church to himself in glory or splendor. This causes her to be glorified. When, when we unconditionally give ourselves to our wives, there's a potential that is released and a security of spirit that is formed that enables them to rise in life and celebrate life and do things that they would not be able to do without that unconditional commitment to them. We just give ourselves up to them. And my wife is here this morning, and so she can, she can corner me when I get home. So that's what you're supposed to do for me. Mm-hmm. Now... Something happens, and this is, this is something that you see um, over and again in these passages that he's, he refers it back constantly to Christ and the church. Wives submit as the church to Christ. Husbands love as Christ loved the church, verse 25. It's a constant reference to Christ and his church. And he presses it in verse 28 and 9 by pointing out that husbands, your wife, just as the church is the body of Christ, and he has entered into a covenant with her that is permanent and everlasting. Um, Hebrews 13.20 says that, that Christ's covenant with his church is an everlasting covenant. It's not like the old covenant that was temporary and came to an end. But this covenant is forever. Christ will be the groom. The church will be his bride forever. He's never going back to the old covenant. And and just as the church is the body of Christ, so he says the wife is the body of the husband. So if you will take care of her, if you will bless her, you're actually blessing yourself. Look at verse 28. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. You're actually, you're actually being good to yourself when you're being good to your wife because if she's happy, then you're happy. No one ever hated his own flesh, verse 29, but nourishes and cherishes it as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. One of the things that I saw uh, some years ago is that when there is a marriage ceremony, a husband and wife come forward and, and they are pronounced man and wife, husband and wife. There is actually a third party that shows up and it is God himself. Let me give you Matthew 19, 5 and 6. A man shall leave father and mother and cleave, that is, in a covenant to his wife. They are therefore no more two, but one flesh. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, What therefore God has joined together, 
let not man put asunder. That's Matthew 19, 5 and 6. And the thing that I noticed in that passage is that it indicates that God does the joining. That God brings, when you when we have a ceremony, and I hold to marriage as something of a, a sacramental view of it. That is that there is actually something happens in the ceremony. It's not just a piece of paper. Uh, it is a sacred moment when God joins the man and wife. That's Matthew 19 and verse 6. What God has joined, let not man put asunder. It's not just a man joining. It's not just the husband and wife making vows. God's Spirit is joining. In the same way with the Christ and His church, there is an actual joining in the covenant we have with Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 17, He that is joined, same word, to the Lord is one spirit with Him. We are joined to the Lord. A husband and wife are joined to each other. When did they join? Well, when they make that covenant, say those vows, the, the groom departs from his mother and father, and they say, I do, to each other, and they are pronounced husband and wife. God, in that covenant ceremony, joins them, not just legally, but miraculously, supernaturally, mysteriously, and spiritually. Look at verse 32. This mystery is mega. The Greek word is mega. It is a mega mystery. And I'm saying it refers to Christ and His church. This mystery of a man and woman joining together, reflecting and typifying Christ and His church is an incredible, huge, profound mystery. Marriage is not simply something that is a legal document that you can do at the courthouse. This is a ceremony that God himself shows up in and joins people together in. Now, notice uh, verse 31 and 32 that he addresses to all of us. He says, A man shall leave father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, that is a quote from the Old Testament. Uh, Give me Genesis 2 up here. Notice this. Now, this is Genesis 2. God put Adam to sleep, and out of his side took the rib or part of his side and made a woman, brought her to the man, and it's actually poetry. It's almost like Adam says, at last, or this is it. This is what I've been looking for. Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. We fit together. And... uh, Then it says, verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So here's here's my reasoning here. Ephesians 5, verse 31. He quotes Genesis 2.24 on Adam and Eve. You leave husband, you leave uh, father and mother, cleave to your wife, 
and become one flesh. That's a quote from Genesis 2.24. But now look at verse 32. This mystery is, prof- is profound or great, and I am saying, Paul says, it refers to Christ and the church. Whoa. Now think about that. Step back for a moment and think about what Paul is saying. God has just made Adam and Eve, and the writer of Genesis says, therefore, the way he made Adam and Eve, this is the basis on which you leave father and mother and be joined to your wife. And Paul's next statement is, I am talking about Christ in the church. Now here's my thought on this. When God made Adam and Eve and marriage in general, he wasn't just blessing people and making an institution. He was picturing Christ and the church. In other words, in God's mind, Christ and his church were in the future. And in order to have a picture and a reflection in the history of the world, he made Adam and Eve. And in the manner in which he made them, he pictured Christ and his church. So that marriage is not so much about your happiness, it's about the gospel. It's about Jesus. And how Jesus left the Father, came to the earth, was put into a deep sleep by the Father at the cross, three days and nights, and then rose from the dead and was joined in a new covenant to his Eve, the bride, the church. That's what marriage is about. That's why Paul says in verse 32, this mystery of marriage, it's profound, it's incredible, it's a mega mystery. And I'm talking about Christ and the church. Even though I just quoted Adam and Eve's story, even though I just gave you a verse about Adam and Eve, Paul says, I'm talking about Christ and the church because Adam and Eve was about Christ and the church. And every reference he makes to a wife on how you're supposed to relate to your husband goes back to the church. And every reference he makes to the husband, how he's to relate to the wife, goes back to Christ. So that you, a Christian marriage fulfills the purpose of marriage when the two relate to one another and the world around them as the way Christ and his church relate to each other and the world around them. This is an incredible mystery. And we are on holy ground when we're talking about this. When God made Adam and Eve, he was thinking of Jesus Christ and his church, which means Christ and the church was the subject and the topic of God's thoughts before he made the world. Now, we see a lot of definitions of marriage, and people, in order to save money, they uh, get tax write-offs, get legal protection. They're trying to redefine marriage, and uh, you all are aware of this, I'm sure. 
a man and a man, a, a man and several women, uh, two women. Uh, I just jotted this down. Uh, one woman named Jennifer Hose in 2003 actually married herself. Now, there's your new definition, isn't it? I guess one day she looked in the mirror and thought, that is a hot chick right there. <laughs> she was on CNN with Anderson Cooper, interviewed her. But she had the ceremony, she, had the, she made the vows, she put, had the ring and uh, from North Dakota. I mean, you'd think, what in the world? But this is not just one time. This is not just one person. There are several people who have married themselves. One man in Boston, this goes back to 2006, married himself and then couldn't stand his mate and divorced himself. <laughs> I can't take it anymore. You're sleeping on the couch tonight. How does that work? But... And here's the thing about all the definitions and, and then the church comes and has all these defenses of marriage and what it's going to do to society and those are all good. But I'm telling you that, the, that there is no redefinition of marriage except one man, one woman in covenant for life that can ever reflect the gospel story like that one right there. How do you reflect the gospel story with anything but a husband courting a wife, wooing her, entering a covenant, and staying true to her through thick and thin until the end of their days. Because that is exactly what Jesus does for his church. That's what Jesus does for us. That's the everlasting covenant. And we are to reflect that. He loved the church and gave himself up for her. Let me just press this a little bit and show you... Uh, three or four things, how Jesus does this for us, setting an example. How does Jesus illustrate the faithful husband? And how does the church respond? Well, for one thing, Jesus illustrates the faithful husband and, our, and we are to illustrate it back, the church responds back, and we in our marriages respond back by focusing on the covenant by, by realizing that Jesus made a covenant with his bride. The marriage of Jesus and his church is called the New Testament. The Testament is simply Latin for covenant. Jesus does not just visit but he is with us forever. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. That's what you say when you enter a marriage covenant. During this lifetime, you're saying, I'm yours and you're mine and it ain't ever going to change and no matter what happens. And God joins you together. Now that illustrates... Jesus and his church. It does not illustrate Jesus and his church for you to hook up. Uh, amen? 
Y'all know what I mean by hooking up? Looking at me like, I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> or going from one girlfriend to another and bragging about to, to the guys. That does not illustrate Jesus and his church. He came and made a covenant with his bride. And that covenant is permanent throughout eternity. That's why it's called the everlasting covenant, Hebrews 13, 20. Here's a second thing that Jesus does that helps us to understand the husband and the bride. Is that Jesus left his home and his father in heaven for his bride. You don't have a lot of verses of Scripture that describe Jesus before he came to earth. There's not a lot in the Old Testament. There's a few. But one of the, one of the passages that talks about Jesus before he came to earth is Proverbs 8.27. And I guess I should have put this up here, but I've, I'll give it to you. I'll read it to you. Proverbs 8, verse 27 through 31. Now this is Jesus' life before he came to earth. When, Proverbs 8, 27, when he established the heavens, talking about God the Father, when he, God the Father, established the heavens, created everything, Jesus said, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made the skies above and established the fountains of the deep, and assigned the sea its limit. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, I was beside him. Oh, man. So you get this little window in which you can view eternity past and get a glimpse of how Jesus and the Father was interacting. He said when he was creating the world and putting the limits on the ocean and making the circle of the earth and... He said, I was beside him like a master workman or craftsman. I was working with him. Jesus participated in creation. Angels did, do not, but Jesus did. And listen to this. This is Proverbs 8.30. I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight. The Father daily delighted in the Son, and I rejoiced before Him always. In other words, God the Father and God the Son were absolutely happy. And they loved each other and loved doing what they did, and, and Jesus had the admiration of angels, the security of heaven, he had plenty of money stored up in the golden streets. I mean, Jesus had it going on. And Jesus left all of that for the church to be liberated, become what she was supposed to be. Jesus loved the church not because he saw something so beautiful and he was so attracted to its appearance and it was so holy. No, he loved the church 
as it was in its defeat and its sin. Now, you will never get the core of marriage and the meaning of it without the gospel. And you love your wife unconditionally. Just give yourself to her, irregardless of how she looks in the morning or her failures or her nagging or anything else. You just give yourself to her. It will cause her to grow and be liberated and sanctified. And husbands, that's your calling to be like Jesus. And no amount of counseling, marriage counseling, will ever substitute for a husband loving his wife unconditionally. You can never get it in counseling what you can get with unconditional love to the wife. Now, the point that I want to make here, though, is that Jesus left what was a happy home and security for the risk of embracing this bride in a covenant forever and throwing his lot in with her. Wow. What a mystery. Why would he do that? He loved her. (laughs) He loved us. He loved us. A third is that Jesus trusted the Father to bring him the bride. He trusted the Father to bring him the bride. Just as Adam had to sleep in a deep sleep, and out of his side came his bride, So Jesus had to go to the cross and out of his blood and out of his sacrifice and out of his death and out of his side flowed blood and water which produced the bride. And John 6, 44 says, No man can come to me, Jesus said, unless the Father draws him. Do you remember how when God made Eve, so that means that God was her father because he created her. And it says in Genesis 2 that God brought her to the man. That is the equivalent of walking, of a father walking the bride down the aisle. And God the Father was the first one to set that picture in motion. The father brings the bride to the groom, and the groom trusts that this father now gives permission and grants the blessing upon that union. And then number four, uh, Jesus, who was a son, became a father to the bride's children. Now, this may sound a little weird, but there are verses for this. When Jesus, the groom, joins his bride, the church, they produce children. We call them born-again converts. Hebrews 2.13, Jesus said to the Father, Behold, I and the children whom you have given to me. Jesus has children. Speaking spiritually, you understand. Isaiah 9.6, 
For unto us a child is born and a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, and the Everlasting Father. Jesus goes from being a son, he keeps his sonship with the Father, but also reflecting the Heavenly Father, becomes a father to the children that God gives him. All right, very quickly, let me just give you three things to remember. Number one, remember that marriage is not about us. It is about the gospel. It is about him. It is God's institution to proclaim Christ's love for his church. And number two, the way to be happy is to not try to be happy in your marriage. If you get married, forget happiness. (laughs) It's not going to (laughs) happen. No, but really, the way to be happy is to pursue the purpose of marriage. What's the purpose of marriage? I have to learn how to follow the authority of Jesus, the lordship of Jesus. And I have to learn to align myself with authority. That's the why. Then for the husband, I have to learn to give myself to her. I have to learn to love her unconditionally. I have to learn to to set her free to be holy and to initiate and lead her in a holy life. And then... Number three, marriage becomes a reflection of the kingdom on earth as she submits and follows his headship and his headship leads her into a walk, a fresh walk with God. That's the kingdom. I am um, I'm sending Jan. I decided to do this last year. I don't remember exactly when, but I decided I would send her a uh, hundred things I love about my wife. I'd text them to her. And so this was last year. I don't recommend that, by the way. Start a little smaller number. (laughs) Ten things I love about my wife. Uh, I went for the moon, and uh, so I'm, uh, I'm at number 40. But I'm praying that God will let me live to... Because I know there's a hundred out there. <laughs> but I have, I have texted to her how I love her piano, her meals, her, the way she does the dishes so faithfully, her sewing and knitting and washing clothes. I love her work ethic. I love her frugality. She is not enthusiastic about a credit card. I love her. I love the way her hair sticks up in the morning. It's just kind of cute, the way it sort of is weird. (laughs) And I love her manners. My wife is not crude, and she's not loud. Like in a restaurant, you'd never know she's there. I, I love her willingness to stop and pray with me uh, in almost 40 years of marriage. I have never asked her a single time if she would pray with me. No matter what she was doing, she would stop and join me in prayer, even if she's watching the Michigan 
Chicago. I love the fire in her eyes when she talks about her political beliefs. Whoa. And I love the way she talks to the TV. And I'm two, three rooms away, and I hear her. I love her children and her grandchildren, who are also mine. So many little things that I've been texting to her. And as I would text them to her, sometimes I would cry. I would get teary-eyed and, man, and I couldn't wait for her to get home that evening. I delighted in her. Now, as I went through, I had these little experiences, you know, kind of re- renewal. There's a little renewal going on there, a little romance. Um, so many little details of her, of her life and personality that I delighted in. It hit me one day. This is a reflection of Jesus for his church. This is the way he delights in his church. He he doesn't just delight in forgiving your sins. He delights in your everything, everything about you. Oh, how he loves his church. Do you know what he gave up for us? And that message and that gospel story is what marriage is all about. That's the point. Until we get that... We will constantly be trying to figure it out. And what do I do about this? And I can't get her to change that. We'll talk about this more next time, but what you bring into the marriage, how God heals us and saves us and sometimes leaves it. We have a final song, Dave. They're going to come and sing for us one more song. Let's, before we pray for our husbands or wives, let's thank God. God, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Bow with me for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much today for this great mystery, this holy and sacred mystery that is reflected in a husband and a wife in so many ways. Teach us, Holy Spirit, how to celebrate the gospel in our love for each other. In Jesus' name, amen.